As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Seabrook Performance. Luke and the guys at Seabrook Performance are prepared to tackle any performance engine or carburetor projects you have. Stay tuned for more on what Seabrook Performance can do for you. In addition, today's podcast is brought to you by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're an open-minded racer with a desire to improve on the track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite can provide the tools to help you do so. And it's all that we know, it's the way you lie. Give all that we got, we're right at a time. Do whatever we got to do. We never know if it's our one last ride. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Hi, Big Jed. A little bit, I don't dare I say, shorter mm, show. Easy. Uh, yeah, who knows what we'll get into as, <laughs> as we get to talking. But no guest on today's Sportsman Drag Racing podcast. We've got JJ coming on next week to rehash September. So today's episode will be more results heavy than anything. We've got a couple of things that we'll, we'll spice in. Uh, a little mailbag segment, although we need to figure out a better name for that that's new to us what that is is we read some emails and some correspondence from listeners but for whatever reason like quick google search mailbag that's it's not really what we're looking for we're gonna have to figure out something better there but you guys get the idea we're gonna do some of that yeah look it's gonna be uh like you said a heavy bracket racing weekend recap we've got ihra division finals and division four and division one the drive for 75 at Huntsville Dragway was a huge success for Bones, Andy, and the guys at Huntsville. And our buddies JP and Fetch looks like they had a great outing, a uh, great event, the Harrington Memorial there at uh, Cecil County this weekend. Yeah, as to be expected, as per usual. 
big weekend. We previewed it last week, how we really thought we would have some clarity in the NHRA points chases coming into the weekend. There were only seven divisional events left on the schedule, and three of them happened last weekend. So you would think, okay, we're finally going to have some clarity. We're, we're going to more or less be able to crown some champions. Somebody's going to pull away. And as it pertains to NHRA competition, that didn't happen. The, the story for me from the weekend wasn't even necessarily who won, but who didn't win. Like with little exception, the contenders for the NHRA Sportsman Championships didn't have a great weekend, either at Great Bend or at Reynolds. So that big week of divisional events that we thought would clear up a lot, at least in large part, only served to muddy the waters uh, even more. So obviously we will talk about that as we get a little bit further into the show, Big Jed. But first, let's go into what everybody's talking about. This week on What Everyone Is Talking About. All right, Luke, what everyone is talking about is like, deja vu or as a friend of mine says rendezvous but i mean this guy's on fire everyone is talking about jake howard and his performance over the weekend at the ihra division four bracket finals that was held at beautiful extreme raceway there in texas and uh, jake won the mod division in the ihra division four bracket finals which is three division championships for him in the last two weeks, the guy <laughs> is absolutely on fire. Stop, drop, and roll, Jake. You are what everyone is talking about. Now, Luke, I don't know how much attention you've been able to pay to this, uh, but chatting with Jake a little bit and, and finding out some details, obviously I was wishing him well as he goes to Memphis for the World Championship runoff, but unfortunately that's not going to happen. Uh, he was uh, not an IHRA member by May the 1st, so you will not have to contend with Jake at the IHRA World Finals in Memphis. Uh, I think the same weekend as the Million, if I remember correctly. But uh, he will be represented two times in Pomona, so the NHRA guys, you'll have to deal with him. IHRA, you will not. But Jake is what everyone's talking about, Luke. Unbelievable performance once again. No question. Shout out to Jake Howard, because... You probably should be this week's BTE Who's Hot, but you've already been the BTE Who's Hot twice this year, yeah. and we don't have any rules written or <laughs> unwritten, but we were we just thought about it and thought, we, we got to go somewhere else with that, but let's just make Jake what everybody's talking about, because Jake is what everybody's talking about, and for good reason. Again, to rehash, it was two episodes ago, we had Jake Howard on the show following a double victory at the NHRA Division Four Bracket Finals. He won the pro class and the sportsman class. That also marked his fourth NHRA Division Four championship in the last three years. He had won, I believe it was sportsman in 2017. He had won pro in 2016. In addition to doubling up in 2018, all Jake Howard does is win bracket finals. Again, as you mentioned, two weeks later, IHRA Division Four Bracket Finals, yet again in the winner's circle. And I really thought this is a really cool story. I wasn't aware of what you had just mentioned. Jake not 
uh, qualifying necessarily playing by the the I, the rules that IHRA had set in place to be able to run in Memphis because I had thought how cool is that he's going to go to Memphis race for IHRA World Championship then a couple weeks later he's going to be in Pomona racing for two NHRA World Championships I doubt that there will be anyone else that is at those two events with that on the line unfortunately Jake won't be able to either and I guess you could question the circumstances of that. I think I understand IHRA's ruling, and it it's come to our understanding that this is not something that was a surprise to anyone. This has been well laid out, well communicated. I think you had to be an IHRA member by May 1st, so whatever. It is what it is. It would have been a cool story had Jake had the opportunity to compete for world championships on both sides, NHRA and IHRA, and especially having two shots in Pomona. We won't get that story, but what Jake has accomplished over the last, what, two weekends alone, much less what he's done all of 2018, nothing short of incredible. Yeah, and, and you understand IHRA's rule there. Obviously, you want to reward the people that are committed to your series and your tracks early in the season. So Jake understands that. He didn't have a heartache over it. But he'll go out to Pomona and have a chance at a couple of titles there, which will be plenty for him, obviously, with the bracket racing that he does. He followed that up, Luke, with a runner-up in the Sunday Gamblers that they had. My good friend Troy Morgan got on him with a three-pack, and uh, Jake was – terrible he was 016 on the tree and uh, and went 12 thou above so he was 28 total and only 25 thou behind so good for troy there getting on him they're very good friends they pit together ride together so all in all great outing for uh, jake another great outing for jake and troy as well but congratulations to jake for being what everyone's talking about yet again i'm sick of you jake quit all this winning not really i love you man yeah, I don't mind talking about Jake. I mean, <laughs> yeah. no. I Jerry, um the rest of that race, there was more to that race than Jake Howard. It looked like they had a huge turnout at uh, Extreme Raceway Park for the IHRA Division Four ET Finals. Team standings went to Amarillo Dragway, which was actually Jake's team. Amarillo was the team champion with 54 points. Home track, Extreme Raceway Park, their first team was second. Pine Valley was third. As far as the individual results in top ET, it was our buddy Daryl Hamlin Jr., that's Scooter, getting the win over Bryson Parks. As we discussed in Modified, Jake Howard got the win over Dwayne Gardner. And the Junior Dragster Division Four Championship went to J.C. Lowry over Andrew Goss. So congratulations to all of those finalists from Extreme Raceway Park. Luke, some other results out there was uh, IHRA Division One bracket finals held at uh, MIR, Maryland International Raceway. Uh, the home team captured the team title 63-37, to 37, uh, U.S. 13 dragway, finished the weekend in the runner-up spot at uh, 26 points above the, the next closest competitor's total domination there from MIR in the top category. John Myers gets the trip to Memphis. He's from Capital Raceway. He defeated Mickey Nelson from MIR. Uh, our buddy Chris Moran, Chris having a wonderful year Gets the big win there for Richmond Dragway. Beats Jonathan Martin from Richmond Dragway. Teammates facing off in the final. That had to be extra special. And Chris will get to add a trip to Memphis and an opportunity for a world championship to the amazing season he's had. And uh, in the junior dragster category, it was both competitors from MIR, and that was Tori Taman 
getting a win over A.J. Jenkins. So, looked like another great event there and uh, some big winners headed to Memphis for an opportunity at a world title. Jed, we didn't go with Jake Howard for this week's BTE Who's Hot. We mentioned that a little bit earlier. He's probably as deserving as anyone. With that said, what better way to segue, who is this week's BTE performance Who's Hot? He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. BTE staff is selected directly from the racing community. From sales to manufacturing, each member of their staff is a performance enthusiast. With multiple world championships and number one qualifiers, they offer expert professional technical advice for your racing operation. See our staff directory. Our commitment to your success is part of our own. Luke, our BTE Who's Hot this week is a guy that had a really good outing. Great Ben, uh, out in Great Ben, Kansas, they had a, a, a divisional. And the Super Street guy that won the first race and runnered up the second race was Roger Souter. Now, Roger, very impressive weekend in itself with a win and a runner-up in the two races. But there were some points implications that he had coming in and he really helped himself yeah roger sauter has been a, a staple of the super street class in division five for a lot of years but to your point not only ran over the field this weekend winner runner up that's impressive in and of itself at the double divisional event at great bend kansas but even more so when you put into perspective the points implications mr sauter came into the event mired in a multi-way battle for the division five super street crown and he was not the leader correct me i may be mistaken i was actually following this and why i'm following division five super street points don't ask i just get way too into this stuff (laughs) but i know coming in he was either second or third and there was i think four or five guys with a legitimate shot i think jordan pratt was leading it ryan stifler i believe his name let me pull this up was close yeah and and solder was in there and as this ends up roger sorry it's not technically over because there are still there's no more division five events but there are still divisional events with which racers could claim points but it's over and he currently leads the division by almost a hundred points he came in on, on thursday he was not in the lead really impressive performance specifically under uh, that type of, of pressure or at least with those kind of stakes so kudos to roger Sauter. we could have gone a couple of different ways there were several excellent performances even just specifically at great bend but given the points implications and what roger accomplished over the weekend uh, we give him the nod for this week's bte who's hot speaking big jed of points implications i teased this a little bit in the open the story from the weekend as much as who won the division races the two at great bend division five and the one division two event in reynolds georgia and we'll get to who won them and who was in the finals the story as much as the winners was who didn't win because just about everybody that is in contention for an nhra world championship in one of the sportsman categories with little exception didn't have a great weekend jim perry as an example uh, uh, in the mix in supergas First round exit in Reynolds. J.R. Loebner, friend of the podcast, 
double divisional at Great Bend, top sportsman in both races, bowed out first round in race one, third round in race two. I'll get a little bit deeper into the top sportsman race a little bit later in the show. Mark Jones made the journey to Reynolds, Georgia. He's got a an outside shot at the championship and top drags drift fell in round three. Don Nichols, who again, I'll talk about a little bit later when we del- take a little bit deeper dive into super comp. He was at the double divisional at great Bend round first round loss in race one did advance to fourth round in race two that helped his cause uh, monumentally and which we'll go with, get into and Anthony Bertozzi and 17 world championships can't be wrong, but on Sunday morning and Reynolds, they weren't right. First round loss at Reynolds. Definitely. Um, put a hurt on his chances to capture this year's NHRA Superstock crown. And even Justin Lamb, it's hard to say Justin didn't have a good weekend. Justin made the trip all the way from Henderson, Nevada to Great Bend, uh, Kansas, and just ran the first race. He was in an odd situation uh, where obviously Great Bend was a, a double, but Justin had two divisional events remaining coming into the weekend I assume that he wanted to save his last one for Vegas. It's his home track. He has had a ton of success there over the years. He's won a championship at that race specifically. He knows that place better than anyone. So I understand wanting to save your last race to Vegas. But that basically forced him to drive to western Kansas and just run one of the two races that they had in the weekend. It's an odd Mm. situation to be in. He um, staged up for a monumental third round tilt with a fellow title contender, Chris Cheney, in Superstock. And this was in the first race. That's the only race that Justin ran. Cheney got the better of him in that race, and it was a good race. I think they were 20 to 30 and both dead on or dead on to one above. It was a close race. I think it was a couple thousandths of a second separated. So that's a huge win for Cheney head-to-head. He gains points but then fell in the next round, similar to what we talked about a week ago with Ray Sawyer and Devin Eisenhower squaring off in Supergas. Um, In that one, Sawyer wins the battle, but then really wasn't able to capitalize on it by winning the next round. Cheney in a similar situation. And then I actually, Jed, just related because we're talking about Chris Cheney, and, and this is way more massive than any points chase, I don't know how this fell in the timeline of the weekend, and I don't know any of the details what happened, but Chris's brother, Brian, who has raced with Chris basically as long as I've known them. I haven't seen Brian as much in, in the last year or so, but Brian was was murdered and from over the weekend, Saturday morning, I believe it. And the details that I read there, the the little bit of details I read, it sounded just like a brutal stabbing. I have no idea. I don't want to speculate. I don't know what happened, but obviously this is a huge blow to that family. And I'm here talking about his title aspirations and chances. And I'm sure that that is the last thing on his mind right now. I don't know if he will end up going to the the races remaining and pursuing that. And let's be completely honest, Jed, everybody handles something like that differently and however Chris and his family want to handle this like in complete support if we don't see them at another race all season I get it if he's at the next race and gonna win this championship for Brian I get it you know I mean yeah know that this obviously way bigger than than any points implications we're talking about and again I apologize because I literally saw this 10 minutes before we started recording the show. I don't have any background of any details. I have no idea what happened, how, why. I don't know if anybody does. 
one of those things that certainly doesn't make sense right now, but certainly thoughts and prayers to Chris and the entire Cheney family. Most definitely, Luke. That um, that's horrible to happen at any time, especially you know when obviously Chris is is riding a, a serious high right now, and then to have that just taken out from under you is just an absolute shame. Brian left way too early, so may he rest in peace and definitely thoughts and prayers to the family and and all the friends that were affected by his passing. No question, no easy way to transition into my back into my nerdy world championship talk, but that's where I'm going to go next. As it pertains specific to Superstock, we mentioned Anthony Bertozzi fell in round one at Reynolds. Justin Lamb in that third round loss to Cheney actually improved by a round. He is now, he was the leader coming into the weekend. He now holds a 14 point lead in it, over Brad Zaskowski. If you're not familiar with the way that NHRA points work, that's basically a round and a half. He's 14 points ahead of Zasko. He's 25 points ahead of Bertozzi. He's 31 points ahead of Chris Cheney. Justin has one race left. That'll be, I assume, again, the Vegas Divisional. Bertozzi has one race left. That may be Vegas as well, although I would assume it'd be Rockingham. I don't know. Zaskowski has two. Cheney still has three. So this Superstock thing that I declared over months ago is anything but far from over now justin's weekend and again i didn't mean to mix him up with the the group that lost early because justin had a solid weekend in great bend in addition to that third round loss to chris cheney in Superstock, justin also advanced to the semifinal round in stock eliminator to further extend his points lead same deal he's got one race left i assume it will be in las vegas he has now accumulated 689 points which is solidly in the lead. I think he's 50-some-odd points, which is five-plus rounds ahead of Jeff Taylor. And that 689 mark is massive. That would historically uh, hold up and win his what would be his fifth national championship. But I've been saying all year that it would take 700 to win stock. Now, who knows? I may not may, may be right. I may be wrong. Had he advanced to the final, had that semifinal win like come on, he would have 700 right now. 689 may win, and Justin may end up with more than 689. Again, he still has one race. The problem now is I think he's improving a semifinal loss. So <laughs> you, uh, you advance to do. Yeah. six rounds of competition before you can earn a point. And just to put this into perspective, I know we've mentioned this here on the show before, but the run that Justin Lamb has gone on in the last two months in Stock Eliminator, because two months ago we said Justin was the title favorite in Superstock and was maybe among the contenders in Stock, but didn't look that strong. He is, again, currently leading the, the national points in both categories. Again, he is the reigning world champion in both categories. And the last two months, he's been to five division races in stock. His results, semifinal, semifinal, win, win, semifinal. That's a pretty good five-race stretch, Big Jet. Yeah, don't leave yourself much room to improve on that. So Justin obviously putting himself in position to do something pretty special again this year. And who knows if it goes well in Vegas, then he might pull an incredible back-to-back double. So we'll see how that plays out. Be very interesting. Good breakdown on your part. Justin Lamb trying to go full-on In-N-Out Burger on him with the double-double. That is what we will be rooting for. <laughs> Luke, good breakdown on that and the points implications, how that stuff falls. But uh, we'll 
cover real quickly the uh, results from both races there at uh, Great Bend. Actually, race one was uh, Comp Eliminator. Rambo got number 99. I know you've seen that. And that was huge for him. Matt Harris with the runner-up there in Comp. How about Rambo? Just guys, unbelievable. Rambo, this I found this interesting because, as you're well aware, oh, Jed. He uh, got number 99 a week ago is what I meant to say, and then comes back with a divisional. My apologies. Yeah, no, I followed what you were saying. <laughs> as you're well aware, David Rampey lives in Piedmont, Alabama. Oh, yeah. Yeah, real tight. Okay. There was a divisional event last weekend in Reynolds, Georgia, which isn't that far from Piedmont, Alabama. Rambo no. won a divisional in Great Bend, Kansas. That's a long way from Piedmont, Alabama. If, I don't, if you've never been to Great Bend, Kansas, from this side of the world, you might as well be in Denver. Like, it's way over there. <laughs> yeah, I, it's a long way. I don't know. I, I, I think he was – Rambo makes just about all of the national events. So I assume St. Louis didn't help his cause for national points. But he was obviously in a position where he needed two races more than one. And he's very much in the in contention for yet another competition eliminator world championship. Hence the drive to Great Bend to get two races in. Obviously made that pay off. I will have a rare competition eliminator points breakdown coming up. So all you nerdy points people, I actually do get messages on this, Jed. I thought I was the only person that cared. To say that everyone oh, wants no. to listen to me ramble about this is probably a stretch. But there are at least like six other people that care because they've messaged me. So for that half dozen, we'll break down Comp Eliminator a little bit later on. <laughs> yeah, everybody loves your breakdowns, Luke. Superstock Mike Town got the win over Jason DeForest. Uh, stock Eliminator was Paul Marolia with the win over Norman Warling. Super Comp was Mark Graham over Michael Miller. And Super Gas, Butch Cleewain. I uh, hope I didn't butcher that. Too bad, no uh, pun intended. Got the win over Tim Nicholson. Super Street, the aforementioned BT who's hot, Roger Sauter, gets the win over Brad Frederick. Uh, top sportsman category was Monty Weaver with the win over Todd Stahlbomber. And Kendra Larson wins top dragster over Dusty Meyer. So that was uh, the winners there from race one in Great Bend. Yeah, and meanwhile, Big Jed, uh, as we mentioned, Division Two made the stop at Reynolds, Georgia, where Rambo was not at. In his absence, fellow title contender Craig Bourgeois got the win in competition eliminator over Jim Kimbrough. A superstock was Mike Crutchfield getting the win over Cuda. Cuda making an appearance here in the last month of the season. After I booted him off my team, Cuda's coming through. Luke, uh, any idea where Mike Crutchfield's from? Yeah. Hey, hey, wait. <laughs> Didn't you say that nobody ran stock and super stock in the state of Alabama? I said we got like three, and they were he, all going to be at South Georgia. So. He'd be one. He'd be a good one of the three, Big Jed. Get get he on. Would. Get your get your recruiting hat on. He would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, over in stock, oh, Gail Pinkston. Gail been doing it a long time, getting the win. He got the win over young Daniel Young. Daniel, very talented young racer. We hear a lot from Tyler Kahili. It's the super comp win, Luke, over Ray Ray, Ray Miller. Well, was that? I don't know anymore. It could be Ray that Senior. That was Ray Ray. And Ray, that Ray, was Ray Ray all of a sudden is a contender in this wide open super comp field. But super comp breakdown coming. I'll let you read off the rest of the results. Go get them, Ray Ray. Super gas. 
The guy we've talked about a lot in 2017 hasn't made as much noise this year, but uh, comes out of Reynolds with a win. There's John LaBoose Jr. getting a win over Rusty Cook. That's a that was an all-star matchup right there for sure. A couple of veterans. Super Street was Don. Is that Popham? Popham? I'm not real sure. Don, my apologies. Got to win over my buddy Jacob Rutledge. Oh, Jr. going out in some Super Street racing, getting the runner up. Good for him. Scott Gibson got the win in top dragster Luke over Greg Gallagher. Top sportsman was uh, talented Dylan Stott getting a win over Bruce Duncan. And junior dragster advanced was Autumn Green over Ozell Brown. Junior dragster intermediate was Logan Westmoreland over Hayden Wallace. And junior dragster novice was Aaron Kennedy over Alyssa Raybon. So, good outing there in Reynolds. I think they had a huge crowd and some very familiar winners in the winner circle. Okay. I warned you guys in the intro. It's a little bit of a light <laughs> slate today. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. If you don't like the nerdy NHRA points talk, just fast forward about five minutes. It won't take me too long. We're going to talk super comp. Talked about Don Nichols earlier. Made, made an appearance in Great Bend. Lost in round one of race one. Obviously, that doesn't help his cause. Did advance to round four in race two. And for his position, that was big. He now sits in third place nationally, Don Nichols does. He is 21 points behind Team Luke's Chris Gerritsen. If, you have, if you're not familiar with the name Chris Gerritsen, go back a couple episodes and listen to us, me, just laud Chris Garrison for doing it with what he calls, this is his words, 1990s technology. Check out the car. It's a small block powered 1990 something. I think it's an Ed Quay dragster with airplane front tires. He goes 890 at 126 mile an hour. He is the champion's champion. I hope he pulls this off. Anyway, Chris Garrison leads. Don Nichols, third place, 21 points behind. Nichols can still earn points at three national events and two divisional events. There's only eight races left on the NHRA calendar. In theory, Don Nichols could claim points at five of them. And he is improving now a first-round loss at a national and a divisional. He is the favorite to emerge from this super comp chase as the national champion. He's the favorite without questions, but... Logistics could be an issue. Keep in mind that for the last two weeks, Don Nichols ran the national event in St. Louis. He ran the double divisional in Great Bend. Those are back-to-back weekends. Now, geographically, I don't think either one of those is a huge stretch for him. Don lives somewhere in Nebraska. In order to make it just to show up at the five remaining events at which he could potentially improve his points total— He would have to now go to Dallas this weekend. That would be his third consecutive weekend of competition. He would go to Noble next weekend, Noble, Oklahoma, for the divisional. He would go to St. Louis the following weekend for the divisional there. He would then go to Las Vegas for the national event, potentially stay in Vegas for the divisional, and then go to Pomona for the national, all in consecutive weekends. I don't know what Don Nichols does for a living. Most people's regular job would not permit that. Now, I'm stretching it a little bit because that would actually take him to three divisionals and three nationals. So he could skip one of those divisionals. But to get a full slate, that's going to be a lot of windshield time for Mr. Nichols. So I don't know if that's even realistic. And to be completely frank, he may not need a full slate. Um, If he goes deep in Dallas, that's 
could very well be his last national event. He's already got a win and a runner-up at nationals. So if he goes four or five rounds at Dallas, uh, there's probably not a lot of incentive or need to go to another national event, and it would greatly reduce his travel schedule and probably put him in a position where he's an even stronger favorite to win the world championship. Wouldn't have to go out West. Um, But interesting to see what happens at Dallas and how that impacts his decision going forward. Because on one hand, that stretch sounds brutal. On the other hand, how many opportunities do you have to win an NHRA world championship? And what are you willing to sacrifice to try it? So interesting to watch. Mentioned Ray Ray earlier runner-up at Reynolds, and all of a sudden, just out of almost nowhere, I mean, we all know the name, Ray Ray, Ray Miller III, coming into the season, he's a favorite before anybody goes down the racetrack, but he was off the grid as of, what, a month ago. His last two divisionals brought a win at the Division Two event at South Georgia, now a runner-up at Reynolds, and without taking anything away from those at the top of the Super Comp standings, it's a low, low total to win this year, which I think speaks to parity more than anything. But all of a sudden, like all it really takes is two final rounds. If you've been to all the races, you're very much in contention. And that's where Ray Ray's at. All of a sudden he's second in the national points. He's just 12 points back of the aforementioned Chris Gerritsen. He has just one divisional event remaining. He's improving a second round loss. It's very realistic to think that he could pass Gerritsen's current total. But as we mentioned, Don Nichols has multiple opportunities to improve. Chris Gerritsen still has two races at which to improve his score. So while Ray Ray could, I don't want to say easily, but it would just take a third round win to take the lead in theory. I don't think that that would be enough. Uh, He probably has to win his last division race or at least make the final round to have a realistic shot of that points total holding up. But at this point, the last two division races he's been to, he's been to the finals. So that's not a far-fetched hope. Where, where uh, does he get this last divisional, Luke? I would assume Rockingham, the last Division Two event. And then we've got, again, like you make two finals and all of a sudden you're in contention. We talked about Roger Sauter's weekend at Great Bend. There were two other racers that appeared in both final rounds in their given category. And they actually... That happened in the same class. Uh, Mark Graham and Michael Miller ran each other in the final round of Super Comp at both races at the double divisional. Graham got the better of Miller in race one. Miller turned the tables and defeated Graham in the final of race two. And kind of like Ray Ray, all of a sudden, with those two finals, Mark Graham is like a bit of a dark horse title contender. But again, he is very much in the mix and kind of similar to Nichols, still has a lot of races left to improve. He still has three national events to, to claim or to improve, and he's improving weak performances. So there is, you know, early losses, first, second, maybe one third rounder in there. So there is plenty of opportunity for him to jump right up into this mix. Similar to Nichols, if Mark Graham's going to do it, he's going to have to get some time behind the windshield. It's probably going to be, I see he's entered in Dallas this weekend. It would probably mean a trip out West of Vegas and Pomona. But if he is in say the semifinal or final round at Dallas, I think that's something that he has to consider. So super calm, far from over, but obviously you know where my heart is. I am rooting for that airplane tire dragster from Delaware. <laughs> yes, you are. And I'm sure a lot of people are. So obviously I'm championing, championing, championing. I, I can't even say the word Chris Garrett's and I am a, a card 
carrying member of the Chris Garretson fan club. I may have to become the president of the Chris Garretson fan club. Chris, make this thing happen, man. Well, he couldn't have someone better promoting his racing operation. But so Luke, obviously Reynolds uh, put some people in position to do well. And it's obviously put some people in position. It's created a challenge or two, an extra challenge or two on their path. So good breakdown of the points implications there. As we talked about, there was a second race in Great Bend. And we'll cover those winners. Matt Harris got the comp eliminator win over Chad Vogues. Uh, Wyatt Wagner won Superstock over Jared Swinehart. And cool name there. I like that first name. That was good stuff. Even spelled it right. Stock eliminator was Tim Mosbeck over Logan Werner or Wernit. My apologies. Super comp was Michael Miller getting the win over Mark Graham, as you talked about. Super Gas was Steve Hayes over Don Nichols. Talked about that as well. Uh, Mark Van Heedler got the win in Super Street over Roger Sauter for his runner-up in the two finals that he made. Top Sportsman was Kirk Pipke over Alan Firestone. And Top Dragster was won by Randy Dahlberg. Got the win over Les Feist. Oh, Les going to a Top Dragster final. So, Luke, there's obviously implications in race number two as well that uh, that you'd like to talk about. Sure. One name that you didn't mention in all of the results that we covered over the weekend was mm. one J.R. Loebner. Had his struggles at Great Bend. I think I mentioned it earlier. Lost in round one in race one. Obviously, that didn't help him at all. Did advance to the quarterfinals, which sounds better than saying he lost third round. 32-car race, obviously. You can do the math. <laughs> did lose third round in race two that was actually the round if that win light comes on jr lobner takes the national points lead as it fell gets beat in the round of eight which leaves him six points behind current leader doug crumlish jr still has two national events to claim he has one divisional event to claim the issue there similar to don nichols and similar to mark graham like i guess it's not quite as crazy but in a way it's crazier the logistics there are that there are only two national events remaining at which top sportsman is contested dallas this weekend which jr is entered in jr is from the kansas city area so that's not that big a stretch to go to dallas the other the only other national event that runs top sportsman is the following weekend in charlotte and we've joked about this before charlotte is not close to kansas city I didn't realize in saying that, however, the other challenge that this presents, because as I mentioned, in addition to the two national events JR can still earn points at, he has one divisional remaining. The closest divisional to his house, well, let me, phrase, re, let me reframe that. The closest division to his house may be St. Louis, but I don't think JR can qualify at St. Louis. It's going to be fast. It's a typical Division three race. The next closest event to his home is at Noble, Oklahoma. Simple enough, right? The problem, again, is Noble, Oklahoma and Charlotte, North Carolina's national event, same weekend. And you can't be in two places at once. No. So, assuming that JR doesn't go and win Dallas or do enough at Dallas to put him in a comfortable points lead, if you want to win this championship, you leave Dallas and drive to Charlotte, North Carolina, okay? A trip in and of itself only to return home for a weekend and then drive to Las Vegas, Nevada for the only remaining division race. That's mm -hmm. rough. And that's basically like there's not 
much other option if you're going to make all the races. Again, much like we talked about with Don Nichols and Mark Graham, JR can make this way easier on himself if he goes real deep at Dallas. And then you just say, okay, I don't need that last national event. I'll just put all my chips in one bag. I'll go to Noble and hope for the best. Otherwise, you're really crisscrossing the country. And to be frank, I haven't talked to JR about this. JR and John are not afraid of the windshield one bit. And it wouldn't surprise me a bit if they're at Dallas, they're at Charlotte, and they're at Vegas. But I don't know if you listeners own a globe. Like, that's rough. That is a rough three weeks. (laughs) So whatever. We'll see where that goes. Comp, I teased earlier that I wanted to get a little bit into comp. And I'm not going to get deep into details because... I don't know how many of our listeners care about this stuff to begin with, much less Competition Eliminator. But this year's comp points chase is super entertaining. Frank Aragona leads and has led, I think, most of the season. But he's all done. He can't earn any more points. He can't improve anymore. And there was a point where I think he looked pretty comfortable. And now all of a sudden, like specific to this weekend, Rambo goes and wins at Great Bend. Craig Bourgeois goes and wins at Reynolds. And they are absolutely breathing down Frankie's neck. They both have a chance to overtake him. They both have a couple of races left to claim. Clint Neff is also in that mix. That's every bit of a four-way battle for the championship. If I know Frankie, Frankie's going to be at some of those races trying to play blocker. Like This this can create a lot of drama and be a lot of fun to watch. So as little attention as I, and I think most you know, sportsman racers that are listening to this podcast as little attention as we typically pay to competition eliminator. When you've got names involved, like really the three guys that I would think of when I think of competition eliminator, Frank Aragona, David Rampey, Craig Bourgeois, battling this out, potentially mano a mano head to head. That's going to be fun to keep up with as well. Yeah. I look forward to hearing more about that as it progresses. So Luke over on the bracket racing side, we'll talk about some results there as the Jim Harrington Bracket Nationals was put on at Cecil County Dragway there in Rising Sun, Maryland. Our buddies, uh, JP Pascarella and Anthony Fetch with their first year of a little different format. This has been a foot break race for many years. The guys opened it up this year and decided to do combo where they have a super pro category and a foot break category. It looks like it turned out phenomenal for them. Really good weather, huge crowd. Guys did a great job of running it. Saturday, those guys uh, started off with super pro winner Mark Kelly getting a win over Marty Flegel. Marty's uh, traditionally a bottom bulb guy. Don't know if he was bottom bulb in here, but definitely a great outing for him and Mark Kelly, the foot break winner was Corey Maloney over, again, Marty Flegel. So Marty with two runner-ups there in the Big Bucks races on Saturday. Good deal for him, but um, got outed both times. Uh, Super Pro 64-car shootout that they had. That was a, I can't remember, I think that was a $10,000 shootout. I, I should have checked, but Bobby Spence, we all know Bobby's very talented, gets the win there over Robbie Hamilton. And then Sunday, they wrapped it up with Trip Clow winning the Super Pro category uh, over Chris Reynolds, our buddy there from Bear, Delaware. And the foot break winner was Todd Toman over Frank Armando. So great job there by Anthony and JP and, and all the folks, Andrea and all the folks involved. So that was a really good deal for them to, to see that race be such a success. And Heather as well. My apologies, Heather. I didn't mean to leave you out because I know you got a big part in it. Luke, I was at the drive for 75 at Huntsville Dragway, and it was standing room only. 
a little different format. You come in, you pay a hundred bucks, you race for seventy five hundred uh, Saturday and Sunday. Hundreds all it costs you, no matter when you get there. If you get there Saturday, it's hundred. If you get there Sunday, it's a hundred. Bones and the guys decided uh, the last race to implement something called risky business. So I love in, the name. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a really cool name. I wonder who helped Todd come up with that. But anyway, well, are you taking credit for this? Well, that was a humble brag, but it it wasn't. What now? What Hey, give it, I credit where credit is due. I love the name. I I referenced it. Was it last show? I talked to risky business, and I brought up the old Tom Cruise movie. Are yeah. you familiar with the movie? Okay, well. It got me to thinking because how did this work, right? You've got what did you say? You've got the the base entry fee, and then what do you pay extra to uh, to make it pay ten grand? Yeah, so you race for seventy five hundred if you pay a hundred at the gate. If you come in and pay a hundred and fifty, get your risky business card. You're racing for ten thousand. Okay, do you remember like the token line from the movie Risky Business? Uh, I do not. Sometimes you just gotta say what the bleep. When you pull in the gate at Huntsville Dragway, sometimes you just got to say, what the bleep? I'm running for 10 grand. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked out for the racers in this instance because uh, all the winners were risky business. Brian Whitworth, BW Promotions, BWO Take Double is what he's famous for, got the win over the always tough Todd Sensony. Both of those drivers were risky business tech card owners and um, that bumped the purse from 7500 to 10k for the winner so that didn't have to get goofy if there was any splitting or anything going on there they they both knew the winner was getting 10k and sunday's race by the way it was 355 entries for that so it's a super popular format down this way what of yeah 355 i've been Huge to huntsville crowd. with 255 and i didn't think they could park another car there well, they couldn't. Uh, there was a gentleman when I got up Saturday morning, parked basically in my trailer, and uh, he said, "Am I going to be in your way?" I politely said, "Yes, sir, you are." Uh, so we had to get moved around there. I'm not real sure what he was thinking. Maybe got there in the dark, but so they had 355 there. Had 358 on Sunday. Picked up just a little bit. Huge crowd. Really good outing for those guys. Sunday, Jake Clayton got the win in Kevin Bennett's dragster, KB Performance dragster. Young Jake showing off his talent once again. Got the win over Timmy Elliott. Timmy, tough on the top bulb or the bottom bulb. And Jake was a risky business tech card holder. So he got to hoist the $10,000 check for that. So Jake um, said, what the bleep? Yeah, he did and got that risky business, and his business didn't turn out to be so risky after all. So congratulations to B-Dub and Todd and Jake and Timmy. Good outing there. Bones, Andy, TT, Angie, and the crew at Huntsville did a wonderful job, as always, and uh, looking forward to what they got on tap here in a couple of weeks, which we'll talk about when the time comes. But that covers the bracket racing results, some good uh, events there to talk about. And, Luke, we'll pay a few bills and into the next subject we'll talk about what's on tap after this i want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available subscribe and you can do that on 
Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Sabre Performance specializes in building race-winning engines, carburetors, and performing top-notch machine work for racers of all types. As the end of 2018 racing season approaches and you look forward to freshening up your engine or building a new one, keep Sabre Performance in mind. To see what Sabre Performance can do to improve your race program, call them today, 785-286-6813. Also, be sure to check them out on Facebook. They're listed as Sabre Performance, performance that's proven to win. All right. Today's podcast is also presented in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. And I was sitting down trying to write up some some ad copy for this read, Big Jed, and I thought to myself, okay, well, why should you join This Is Bracket Racing Elite? And I just thought about personal experience. Okay, and me personally, I am a member of a couple of membership communities myself, mostly business-related. I also, I shared this last episode, I think, just joined a, a pretty extensive mentorship program where I'm, I'm learning under a mentor of my choosing. My wife and I went to a couples conference a couple of weeks ago, and in each instance, I feel like I personally get some benefit from the, the teaching and the teachers uh, of each program. And I hope within this bracket race fleet that Kevin Brandon and, and myself provide that to some extent to our members. But when I think about these other mentorships and these other membership communities that I'm a part of, I think about how much I also ben- benefit from the community aspect of each group or seminar. More than anything, um, I leave those those events, whether it's a, a live event or a uh, a group chat or whatever the case may be. I leave those things just like on fire. I'm I'm excited. I'm motivated. I, uh, I I'm I'm ready to go accomplish something. They spur on thought, ideas. They give me motivation. They make me uh, again specific to the those groups and and programs that I've. I've affiliated myself with, they make me want to be a better man, a better businessman, a better father, a better husband. On a smaller level, I'd like to think that this is Bracket Racing Elite can do the same. We provide the tools, we provide the instruction, the community, and the motivation to help you become a better racer. So if that is your goal, I think we can help. You can learn more at thisisbracketracing.com. Smack across the land, then you do the L ride and you come out like the world champ. You've been waiting all win alone. Honey, where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's what's on tap. All right, Luke, got a lot of racing on tap. Uh, as usual this time of year, some good stuff happening on both the bracket racing side and on the the HRA, whatever you choose to race, but the door wars. It's a foot brake experience happening at Maple Grove Raceway this weekend. Um, my good buddy Andy Anderson, I believe, is putting that on for the guys up in that part of the country, and it'll be a great big bucks foot brake race, uh, which is uh, home to many of those over the years at Maple Grove. And, of course, the legendary 10-tuck bracket bash, uh, the final event on the 10-tuck point series there at Beach Bend Raceway Park in Bowling Green. Luke, I, uh, I know that you're going to be in attendance 
I will be at Beach Bend. It's one of, if not my favorite facility in the country. I don't get to go as often anymore, but I will be at Tentuck. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be a, a great event for them. As always, wrapping up the points. Uh, IHRA Division II West Summit Team Finals will be held at Memphis International Raceway. The NHRA Division Seven Summit ET Finals will be held at the Strip at Las Vegas. NHRA Division II Summit ET Finals there at Silver Dollar Raceway. And the AAA Texas NHRA Fall Nationals will be held at Dallas, Texas as the NHRA national events get kicked back up here to end the season i think jed that that's going to wrap up the division finals for the year i think every other division is complete that will finalize the rosters for pomona i'm 99 percent sure division two and division seven uh should round out then one that we did not mention is probably definitely the richest event of the weekend if not the biggest is SFG makes its way to Rockingham this weekend. Uh, I think there's multiple warm-up races, but I know that the marquee events are Friday, Saturday, Sunday, $100,000 to win each day. So we will no doubt be talking about that on next week's show as well. Yeah, Jed, most definitely. We'll transition now into this. I don't even <laughs> want to call this a segment because I don't know that we'll ever do this again. Um, again, our our, our um, itinerary for this week's show is a little bit light, and we had some great correspondence from listeners and some stuff that I thought would be interesting to talk about, so we're going to get into it. Again, don't have a good name for this segment. I have it labeled as mailbag on here, but again, like mistakenly, wish I hadn't Googled the term mailbag. That's not something that we need to be associated with. Mailbox <laughs> doesn't really have a great sound either i thought we would reach out to our um get your mind out of the gutter listeners let's go (laughs) this segment we'll just call it um sportsman drag racing podcast emails i hear a shout out coming can't wait i'll have to work on that i I think (laughs) i think i've beat this thing into the ground already but what the heck we'll probably close the show with it too because that's how i roll um We'll keep this similar to Racer Confidential in that we will mask the identities of the listeners that have shared both of these stories um, just to protect their innocence, so to speak. But these are more um, recent happenings in uh, the world of sports and drag racing that apply a little bit to some things that we've talked about before on the Sports and Drag Racing podcast. Each of these listeners kind of asked for our input. So what the heck? We don't have anything better to do. We'll just share our opinion on the podcast. First uh, comes from, again, Anonymous Racer. Would like to hear your guys' thoughts and opinions on this topic. Um, and then goes on to, to tell in a story the, the conditions for regular bracket race. I believe this is last weekend. Uh, we're cool. I think 64 degree high. Um, so track at a track that I guess has a little bit of a reputation for, for being a little bit sketchy in good conditions. And obviously it's colder than normal. One of the local racers, I assume it's like a local standout, but it sounds like someone that doesn't really race at another track very often. This is someone that is at this facility, uh, just about every time that they open the gate, um, is dialed five eighteen. He's, I guess like one of those types of cars that you could paint 518 on the window, right? That's around the hood scoop, I guess, in this instance. I think it's a dragster. So Dallas 518 for whatever this is, second round or something, and um, runs four over, goes 522. The racer comes back 
runs up to the tower, shows his uh, time slip to the track owner or operator, and says, look, the timing system must have a glitch. Uh, I've never ran four off the dial, and my car doesn't do that. I go 518 every week, right? Meanwhile, the racer that actually sent this message uh, went four off the dial right behind him, flat out. Um, Sounds like this was a trend of the round. Anyhow, the racer in question, we'll just call him Racer X, that uh, went 522 on the 518, um, wants to to be reinstated into the race. The track operator tells him, okay, once this round's over, go make a time trial. Okay, If you go 518 like you think you're going to, we'll put you back in. But if you go 522, then there's something wrong with your car, and you're out. Okay, yeah. uh, several of the racers. Luke. Yeah, you, you, yeah. I didn't stutter. This is the okay. way this went down. So, okay, so he said at the end of the round, you make a time trial. <laughs> if you go five eighteen, I put you back in. That's that what I heard. This is the way I understand this. This is the okay. way the story was told. Okay, so at that point, several of the racers see this go down and um, kind of interrupt the track owner and the said racer, and like, whoa, 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 you you can't you can't do this, right? Um, Wait, wait, wait. No, wait. Sorry. I'm getting this. I should have just read this. I'm trying to put it in my own words. I'm goofing it all up. Okay. Anyhow, Racer X goes back up after the round and blasts off, you guessed it, 518. So the track operator, man of his word, is going to put him back in the race, right? At this point, several other racers intervene. They have a pretty massive discussion. Um, It says, look, you know, you, you can't put one guy back in. Right. Uh, the track owner, after hearing all the issues with trying to only put one racer back in after so many ran off their dial in, like, how would that be fair? This balloons into a long conversation. Finally, uh, track manager makes the decision, hey, we can't put the one racer back in, um, but probably would have had it not come to the discussion that it had come to. Wanted to hear our thoughts. Uh, you want to take this first, Big Jed? Well, um, I, I look forward to hearing what you have to say on it. Obviously, I think that that was not the best decision track owner could have made. Um, you know, it's very unfortunate. The 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 reporter here also mentioned early in the 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 statement or the the email that there was some breakage. A lot of breakage just seemed to have issues, you know, just one of those nights for the track owner. So there was a lot of cleanup going on. So that could have led to less than stellar track conditions. So um, maybe the track owner felt some responsibility there. Uh, Maybe we didn't get everything perfect and he was trying to be kind-hearted, but uh, not a good decision. Uh, definitely want to don't want to set that precedent that uh, if you run off your dial, we're going to put you back in. If you can go out there and run your dial in a time trial after the round, when you break it down just in simple terms like that, I'm sure the track owner now, had he heard this, would go, "Yeah, that was not a good decision." What if he went five seventeen nine? I wonder what would have happened then. But that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story. But uh, not a good idea, Luke. The reason I think that I am so tickled by this story is (laughs) as bizarre as this sounds, because you even interrupted me like, wait, what? Believe this (laughs) if you want to. I have done this exact thing. Like this exact scenario has played out in my racing career. Keep in mind, I, I, and I've admitted this before on the podcast, Jed, I was absolutely the guy 
that I tell all of you listeners not to be. I was the pain in Larry Croft's butt when I was growing up. Like everything with with my home track, which now in retrospect I realize was the coolest place you could ever race in the history of the world. Like we had such a good thing and I had no idea how good a thing we had. Everything in my mind was wrong. And I let him know about all of it. So there was – I'm probably – give me a little bit of leeway here. I'm probably 16 years old. And I am in a bucket of rust, need a tetanus shot to watch it, piece of – to wash it, piece of junk, 73 Nova that my father and I cut out the fender wells because we wanted to put bigger tires on it. We cut the, the door beams out of the doors and never bothered to paint it, so it's just got rust spots in the doors where we cut them out. I mean it's awful, right? The front bumper came off somewhere because you had to dial 899 in Super Pro, and I went 903. So we picked it up a tenth by knocking off the front bumper, and it just never made its way back onto the car. Okay, this is what I'm working with. And I don't remember the details, but I go like six under first round of Pro Eliminator at Texas Raceway. And I just immediately to the tower, there ain't no way. And if I'm, if I'm on the opposite end of this conversation, I'd be like, do you see what you're driving? Like, how, do you, how does it ever run within 600s, right? <laughs> But I sure – this is exactly the way this was handled. Go up there and make another run. And if, if you know, because I'm screaming up and down, there's something wrong with the timing system. So, of course, on my time trial following the round, I'm not the most honest about it. And I'm holding it on the floor, but I'm dragging the brake to slow down, right? <laughs> and I still go you like 800 thunder. My, I just said that out loud on the podcast. I did that, Okay. <laughs> I still go like 800s under my original dial-in, so now I look like a fool because my car is that big a piece of junk. And I don't have to tell anybody that I tried to cheat and slow it down and still went faster than I went on the run that I said there ain't no way. Okay, (laughs) So I got shut up, and I obviously didn't get put back into the race. Had I run my dial-in, I shouldn't have been put back in the race. I should have never made that rerun, although it made me happy at the time. Um, to me, I told all of that story to say this. To me, this is simply an extension of what we talked about last week with that bizarre ruling from NHRA to rerun around based on track conditions. The worst thing that you can do as a track operator, race promoter, whatever. And I'm not saying that there should never be a rerun. There are instances in which a a rerun or maybe even putting someone back into competition are warranted. Like we've all been there and seen that. But if it is a track prep issue, if it is, I don't want to say a timing system issue, the problem with any time that you, you take this and say, okay, well, you got screwed and we need to make it right. You're admitting fault in that instance, and then you are accepting the responsibility of having everything perfect. And that's not realistic. I don't care what facility you are or what race you're putting on. And then you run into that situation of having to draw the line and saying, well, that car slowed down 400s and it never does that. Versus, okay, well, this car slowed down 600s, but that's not as good a car. Like, who are you to judge that? And when you get in, that gets one thing if you have a timing system issue and the car's four-tenths slow, you know, or four-tenths fast, like something that's just completely unreasonable and it's all the 60-foot and it's a lazy infrared or whatever, you know, something obvious. And I'll be the first to admit that if you have a a lazy infrared that can affect a pair two-tenths of a second, 
then it could probably affect the next pair by two thousandths of a second, and nobody would ever know it. Yep. But the problem with that is, again, where do you draw the line? There are some obvious ones, but when it is not super obvious, like you can't just go issue in reruns and putting people back into races. And that's a fine line to walk. I get it. But man, when you make a decision like this, you talk about opening Pandora's box. Um, it's just a mess. Like the, You have to trust your racetrack and your timing system and your employees, uh, unless it's some extreme case, in my opinion. And you got to understand the math too, Luke, you know, and, and unfortunately and not knocking anyone because I get it. I get how difficult it is at times, but uh, there are track owners out there that might not understand the time slip and how each number works with or against the other. So, you know, it probably was very simple. Yeah, you lost it right here in the 60 track wasn't perfect. My apologies. And you ran off all the way down the racetrack. So, you know, had he been 40 red or 30 red and went four above, then maybe maybe we have a discussion and go look at things. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think that happened. And I think that a bad decision was made, but I'm sure they all learned a lesson from it. Well, it sounds like in the end, it, it all ended the way that it should have. It just created a little bit of drama along the way, and you hate to yeah. see that. Um Okay, our second uh, submission to the the not mailbag is uh, an email from one of our listeners that basically says, um, and and keep in mind, I've seen this at, at basically all levels, but and this isn't exclusive to his track by any means, but at uh, at his home track. Um, as the point season winds down, and I thought that this was great to talk about now because point seasons are winding down in at different racetracks and different series and in different points chases across the country. Um, at his track, he kind of bemoaned the fact that um, there's a, a clique of racers, so to speak, that if one of those racers is in contention for a points championship, the other members of that clique or that group will go um, and hunt down the, the opposing racers, the other racers that are in contention, uh, which in a perfect world, like I wish that the racer that is in contention that's part of that group would go chase those guys down himself. Like I have no problem with that. But in reality, like, you have to race somebody that's not that big a deal. You know what I mean? If if I'm in contention and the other guy that's in contention, all of his buddies are chasing me around, like whatever, I got to race somebody. Okay. That I don't really have a problem with. And the, the sender of this email basically said the same. What he had a problem with was when said click then gets paired with the member of their group that is in contention for the points championship they would almost inevitably lay down to make sure that not only were they trying to beat the competitors uh, that were also in contention, but they were making sure that their buddy got round wins. And that's obviously, uh, I don't even want to say a gray area to me, like that's that's crossing a line in most cases. Uh, and we've been down this road before on the podcast, Jed, and, and I realize that there's two sides to most of these stories. And I may get into that a little bit um, as we give our views on this. But again, just kind of going off the email, this listener goes on to tell us that essentially the same practice has now filtered down into the junior dragster ranks at his track um, to the point where one of the junior competitors 
um, that is in contention for points, like raced his brother, and his brother either went massively red or maybe didn't even show up for the round. And so you're impacting it. Like, it's monkey see, monkey do. And that's what we don't realize. Like you say, as a, as a racer, you go Charles Barkley on them and say, I don't want to be a role model. But you've got to realize these other racers are watching you. When this stuff happens in Top ET and Super Pro, it inevitably filters down. Everybody thinks this is okay. Um, I'm just curious, if you're the parent of the child that is in contention for, let's say, a track championship, and you then watch the other driver in contention like get a gifted round from a buddy or a brother. Um, how do you explain that to your kid? <laughs> you know what I mean? uh, This yeah. just—I I, don't—this bothers me on a lot of levels. I'll let you take it for a little bit. I've got some thoughts here, but uh, I don't even know. Again, I went off the script there and didn't read this email line for line because I didn't want to give away any of the identity. If I missed anything, feel free. Um, but again, Jed, your your take on this this as a whole and then specific to this junior texture situation well yeah obviously uh, there was more information there but you summed it up i mean basically the the rounds are gifted it's filtered down to the to the junior dragster category now and they they see what's going on these kids are a lot smarter than a lot of people give them credit for um they typically watch and see what's going on they see how these things play out but uh luke i, I mean i've tried to be fairly transparent when we talked about this subject the last time that you know i've made my mistakes over the years um on the racetrack making poor decisions and doing some things that i wish i could go back and change but you know you you do those things sometimes out of stupidity and um you don't you don't realize that you're affecting the people that are fighting for that championship. So my issue with this is everybody that's in the clique that's doing this, and, and it's been done to a very close friend of mine, this, this same scenario was done to him, and he ended up with the championship. But you do these things, and it seems okay while you're doing it uh, for someone. But if you think about what you're doing to someone, I would think most people would make a better decision. And had it been done to the people that are doing it, I imagine they would, you know, be very upset and want to, to you know, be very confrontational about it themselves. So, you know, the whole do unto others as you'd have done to you, it, it applies in a lot of situations. But this certainly is a situation that is always one-sided. Um, the people that do these things, make these poor decisions, they would never want this done to them when you consider what it takes to win championships and, and the season-long fight that you go through and the long nights that you spend in the shop and the buying parts that you know are a little out of your budget, but you got to get to that next event and fight for it. When you take everything and wrap it all up into what it takes to win a championship, it's, it's a very poor decision to be involved in stealing it from someone the wrong way. So that's one thing. Now, when the kids are watching and they're doing these types of things and parents are supporting it, we've gotten extremely way out of bounds on what we're trying to teach the next generation because that kind of stuff sticks with you. If you think winning a championship at all costs is um, a good idea, it's definitely not when you consider this type scenario playing out. So 
you know, we got to know the kids are watching. They're watching when we lose just a third round race on Saturday night. When we get out of the car, uh, they're watching what we do there. Do you throw the helmet? Do you slam the door? Do you, you know, say swear words at someone close to you? You know, you, you have to understand our sport has changed forever. We have a generation under us at most events that we attend. And I think it's very, very important that everybody realize uh, those youngsters are watching what we're doing and paying very close attention. And they're going to uh, mimic some of the the stupid things we do if we continue to do them. And this was a very poor decision. And the fact that the junior kids were uh, doing similar things, um, shame on the parents. Uh, we, we have to get a little better leadership out there um, from ourselves and definitely from the parents leading this next generation. Yeah, well, well said. I don't know that I can say it any better, although knowing me, I'm sure I will try. Um, I wrote about this it's been years ago on this is bracketracing.com, one of our uh, written trainings. Actually, uh, I just looked it up while you were talking, Judge. It's written training 59, aptly titled, How Do You Want to Win? Um, if you don't want to spend the $5 to read that, I'll sum it up for you real quick here on the podcast. Thanks for listening. While <laughs> your championship, whatever championship that may be, whether it's a national title, a divisional championship, a track championship series point series whatever while that seems extremely important in the moment when you look back on it whether it's a year five years ten years removed from it it's not really that big a deal and very few people remember who won the national championship a decade from now much less a track championship now if you win it's a trophy on your mantle it's a few bucks in your pocket Neither one really lasts. Like what lasts, I think, for most of us is the story associated with it, the memories created along the way. And the question that I ask myself is, what story do I want to tell? Um, you know, and how proud are you going to be of winning a championship in a, uh, you know, in in this manner? And I guess you could sit back and say, well, Luke, that's easy for you to say, right? I'm a what two-time world champion. And sure, I, I get that. But in saying that, I, I did win two world championships, but I've also, just on the national level, I've finished second. I finished third. I finished fourth a couple of times. Um, sixth. Um, I think in IHRA, I had a, a number of, of top 10 finishes and never won a title over there. Uh, my point is that while I've won two national championships and, you know, division and, and series championships along the way, I've come up short at least a dozen times just on the national stage. Like for every championship that I won, I can tell you at least five or six stories where I felt like I had as good a chance to win as the person that ended up winning it and it fell short. Um, so... I feel like I've got a little bit of perspective here, and I don't want to come across here as holier than thou or, or that I'm above this in any way. I'm just trying to come at this as someone who's been doing this for 20 years you know, and seen a lot of stuff. Um, I think back to – Jed, I say a lot of times that I've never won a track championship, and that 
on paper is not actually true. Um, when I was 16 years old, I won the high school track championship at my home track. And this wasn't like a one race thing. We ran a separate high school night on Thursday nights all season long. So this was a season long points championship. And I got the trophy at the end of the year. The way that that shook down, and, and I think I've shared this at some point on the podcast, but I'll walk through it again. Um, coming into the last weekend, I think I was two or three rounds behind, and uh, I was physically trying to square off head-to-head with the, the driver that was leading. I thought, you know, if I can beat him and go a couple more rounds, then I'll win. And I kept not being able to, to pair with him. And uh, the round, I think it was the semifinal round, he had to lose that round, I had to win the race. And I, I again, there was random pairing there, and I, I wasn't able to pair with him. But my buddy did, and my buddy beat him, right? And I won my semifinal round, and so now it's the final round, and I have to win the final now to win the points championship. And um, it was, I don't I think it was unspoken at the time, like my buddy and I just knew, like, there was no way that he was going to beat me. There was no way that he was going to try to beat me. Um, and in retrospect, like, he was in a street car. I was in a race car. Like, I should win the round. Um, but we didn't play it that way. Like, I think he left on the first amber. And I got the race win and the and the championship. And I held that trophy. But even at the time, um, it felt a little bit hollow. And especially now, uh, like, like I said, I don't even say that I've won a track championship. And that I obviously have. Um, and they, I just wish, in retrospect, I think I could have beat my buddy. But we didn't play it that way. I didn't try. And I'll never know um, if I could have performed in that situation under that pressure and, and when that would have come on. And I, I, would, I can honestly say now, again, 20 years removed from it, I would rather have lost the round than to win it the way that I did. Um, we've talked about this before, Jed, in that, and there are always two sides to something like this. And I understand uh, the the racer that says, well, that's my buddy. Like, I don't want to beat him in this situation. And I remember having this discussion here on the podcast before. If you were in contention to win uh, whatever, a, a points championship that is, you know, something meaningful to you, Jed. And I come along and, and we're paired up and I have no dog in the, in the fight, right? I ho- I'm ho- I want you to win it as much as you want to win it. And we're paired up fourth round and you have to win that round. I don't want to beat you there. Like I would just assume see your win light come on. And I get that aspect of it. People overlook that a lot and think, well, that guy that's in contention asked his buddy to lay down. It's not really always like that. Like I think a lot of time the the friend takes it upon themselves to help their buddy out without realizing that I don't know that they really help their buddy out. And in that situation, Jed, like I don't want to beat you, but I feel like I owe it to you to try. Sure. And that again, I'm not telling anybody else how to handle this situation. Y'all do you right? Like whatever makes you sleep at night. It, uh, it, it, it to say that it doesn't bother me is not true, but what like I ain't gonna get into it. But it's your life, it's your decision. But I'll just tell you the way that I handle this situation. And again, this is from years of being through it on just about every side of it that you could be on. But the the way that the the I just told a story that I'm not proud of at all, right? I'll tell you a story that I am really, really proud of, and I would like to think that this is the way that I'll handle the situation if and when I'm ever presented with it again. 
in 2013, I am in contention for uh, the Supercomp World Championship. At that point, I had not won one. Um, had finished second, had finished third, like I said, been knocking on the door. Um, was a, a, It's a huge deal to no matter what, to anybody at any time. But specifically to me at that time, it was my you know lifelong goal to do this. And um, I don't remember if it was the last race that I could claim, but it was down to the wire. I was at Bowling Green for the division race. I needed a good showing there. And I advanced to the semifinal round, and I'm paired with one of my best friends in the world, Jason Lynch in the semis. And it's one of the, we both know the elephant in the room. You know what I mean? I, I know I need that round. He knows I need that round. And I think that he's going to race me straight up no matter what. But I, we got out of our cars in the staging lanes and I walked over to him. I said, Hey man, it's a big round. He said, I know. I said, I'm just going to tell you right now. I, I want to kick your butt right now. But I want to kick your butt right now. You know what I mean? And I want you to come in here and try to beat me. And he looked at me like that was the stupidest thing I could ever say to him. Like the thought never crossed his mind that he wasn't going to try to whip me right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's Sound like catfish. It didn't have to be said, but it, I felt so much better that it was said. And, and in that instance, I got the wind light. In fact, if there was any um, doubt that Jason was trying to beat me, he nearly ran over me at the finish line. Like he did cross the center line. He tried to drop me on my head. Um, that's a different story for a different day. And then I did get drummed by his teammate, Mia Tedesco, in the final because all Mia Tedesco does, she makes a living kicking my butt. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I held on and ended up winning the world championship, and that round ended up um, not making the difference. Like I think I won it by more than one round, but I just look back on that situation with a lot of pride, not only in the way that I handled it, but in the company that I've chosen to keep and that knowing that my friends look at it the same way that I did, or at least that specific friend looked at it the same way that I did. So that, again, I'm not going to tell anybody, like, that's the way to handle this, but that's the way that I'm proud of handling it and would like to think that I would handle it in the future. And that, in my mind, is how this is supposed to work. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the lesson there is second place, third place, whatever, wherever you fall is is more of an accomplishment with your dignity and your integrity uh, in place than first without it. So, um Again, good story there, and uh, hopefully, I know we're going to hear about this stuff again next year when the points championships are wrapping up in the next year, but hopefully we affect us and anyone else that's that's against this can affect a points championship somewhere at some place and and make it fall the way that it's supposed to fall on the racetrack. So, uh, good story there from that listener. We appreciate you sharing that. Both of you guys appreciate you sharing that with us. Luke, that's going to wrap us up. This episode, number 97 of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, coming to a close. want to thank our great sponsors, the people that help us bring this show to you this many times, the great folks at BTE, uh, Seabrook Performance, and this is Bracket Racing Elite. And I see in the show notes here a very good list of shout-outs. I don't feel like it's as strong this week, but we'll roll with it no matter what. Um, I do want to shout out US 13 Dragway, which seems wrong because they did finish second, right? There were other tracks at the Division One IHRA bracket finals. MIR ran away with it. 
Mm. US 13 was was second. I'm sure there were other tracks, but I just wanted to shout out US 13. Way to keep it close. I mean, you only got doubled up by MIR. Um, <laughs> I do want to shout out the the half dozen. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, the half dozen that give a damn about the NHRA points chase. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for the messages. I'm going to keep on doing it. Um, <laughs> I want to shout out, uh, you mentioned Don, it's Don Popham. I, I don't know if it's Popham or, or Popham, like you said, but I'm going to go with Popham because Don Popham popped him <laughs> at Reynolds. I believe it was Super Street that he wants. So shout out to Don. Um, shout out to uh, Risky Business because sometimes you do just have to say what the bleep. Shout out to Larry Croft. <laughs> It's not what the show notes said. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we we keep it clean. We do have. Hey, we just talked about setting an example for the junior dragster racers. Um, shout out to the junior dragster racers that are listening. Both of you, we appreciate it. Um, shout out to uh, Larry Croft, who it's amazing. I don't think he's. I don't think he has any gray hair to this day. And after putting up with me as a kid, the more that I look back on it, it's just a damn wonder that he didn't lose all his hair. Then shout out to Jason Lynch, my buddy, racing Jason, catfish, man of many nicknames. Um, ooh, oh, oh as we're recording here, um, shout out to Beaver Springs Dragway. Looks like they were just hit with a a, a quote unquote small tornado, if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like it caused some pretty serious damage. Again, as we're recording the podcast in real time, so uh, thoughts and prayers to everyone in that area, and especially those associated with legendary uh, Beaver Springs Dragway. Yeah, Mark told us uh, in before the show that uh, they were getting tornado warnings up there, which I thought was very odd for that part of the country. And lo and behold, one hits and and hits at legendary Beaver Springs Dragway. So um, just to get on top of what you said, Luke. Definitely thoughts and prayers out to everybody affected by that, and hopefully those guys can recover quickly. Um, guys, be sure to tell us what you hold, think. Hold on. I can't let it go. I don't know how to even mix it in after that, but shout out to the the mailbag segment, mailbox segment, the <laughs> reaching out to listeners. Uh, I don't know what kind of rabbit hole. I'm, did I just say rabbit hole? Um <laughs> All right. I'm just, just going to leave that. Be. Yeah, if, listeners, if you've got a better idea, obviously we need it. If we ever bring that segment back, we will have a better name. Yeah, y'all yeah, be sure to tell us what you think. Not about the mailbag segment or any of that other stuff Luke talked about, but uh, message us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Mark is in tune to those. He reads those fairly quickly, so... Send us a message right there. Tell us what you think about the show, good or bad, or some things that you think need to be discussed. Um, or you can uh, at either Luke or myself right there on the Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. Like people don't know how to spell that by now. And I am at JP11X. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up. Thanks for listening. It's been a great show. Can't wait to talk to y'all next week about more sportsman drag racing. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. So, Luke, uh, another news IHRA Division One raced at Maryland International Raceway or uh, at. Uh, I'll stop that. What was I trying to say there? They captured the team title. Okay. I think it was at MIR, though, too, wasn't it? Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. 
Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.